pray together. Father, thank you um, just for just the amazing words of uh, these songs uh, that we've been singing. Thank you that you are the God who holds us fast, Lord, that we are secure um, in your hands. And thank you for each person here, Lord, um, that's come out this evening, Lord, and I just pray um, your blessing on them. We thank you for your word, and we pray that you would just um, make our hearts ready you would be present by your spirit. You would uh, open our ears, Lord, uh, to just hear what, what you have to say. Father, I just pray that uh, you would help me uh, share uh, this message uh, clearly, um, that we would just trust in you um, and depend on you uh, for your wisdom and guidance. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, everyone, for coming out. I know you've had to You've had to brave the elements to get here, a few soggy hairdos, but um, thank you for, for coming out. Um, I wanted to talk to us today about um, something I suppose can affect uh, many of us, no matter how mature we might think we are as Christians. We can all fall into a bit of a trap, or as I've uh, called it here, the, the pit of uh, self-pity that none of us, I don't think, is immune to, even though we don't like to really admit to it. Um, but uh, I would like to, to, to focus, if we could, on the book of Jeremiah. Um, and we're going to pick up his story on, in chapter 15. Uh, so if you'd like to uh, turn to your Bibles in chapter 15, and we're going to read from verse 10. Um, and we're focusing on Jeremiah's complaint. So I'm not going to read all of it, but we're seeing how Jeremiah here um, goes on his complaint against God and then how God actually responds to him. So Jeremiah 15. So here's what he says. Woe is me, my mother, that you have bore me, a man of strife and contention to the whole land. I have not lent, nor have I borrowed, yet all have cursed me. The Lord said, have I not set you free for their good? Have I not pleaded before you the enemy in time of trouble and in time of distress? But then Jeremiah carries on down to verse 15. He says, O oh Lord, you know. Remember me and visit me. Take vengeance for me on my persecutors. And in your forbearance, take me not away. Know that for your sake I bear reproach. Your words were found and I ate them. Your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord of hosts. I didn't sit in the company of revelers, nor did I rejoice I sat alone because your hand was upon me, but you filled me with indignation. Why is my pain unceasing? My wound is incurable, refusing to be healed. Will you be to me like a deceitful brook, like waters that fail? Therefore, thus says the Lord, if you return, I will restore you, and you will stand before me. If you utter what is precious, and not what is worthless, you shall be as my mouth. They shall turn to you, but you shall not turn to them. And I will make you to this people a fortified wall of bronze. They will fight against you, but they will not prevail over you. For I am with you to save you and deliver you, declares the Lord. We thank you for your word, God. 
So I thought I'd start today by asking you a question. Um, I wonder if you've ha- ever had a job that you've really, really hated, or what is the worst job you can possibly think of? Um, and I, what I did was I googled um, what are the worst jobs you can possibly imagine. So here, this might make you feel a wee bit better about uh, yourself today. So at least if nothing else, you might get a bit of perspective. So here's some really bad jobs. We have the guy that's wearing the uh, furthest to the right. I think he is, yeah, he's a street ear cleaner. Uh, the guy, and apparently you see these in India. So he has to clear out people's ears on the street. You have um, a sewer swimmer, the guy with the yellow helmet on. So he has to swim around feces all day. How would you like that for a job? Uh, there's a head lice assassin there. I can imagine your skin itching away after you've uh, been working at that job. And uh, possibly my favourite one, the guy on the left who looks like he's, uh, he's got a nice smile on. It's maybe not you. Yeah, it is your left. Um, he is a dog food taster. <laughs> and not, no matter how many vegetarian dishes my lovely wife cooks me, I've never been tempted to eat Barney's food. It's absolutely disgusting. Um, if you've ever smelled chappy, so I would not envy them. Um, but Jeremiah had a pretty rough job to do. Um, if anyone, I would say, would be, have a bit of an excuse um, to go into a bit of a spate of self-pity, he did. He was a prophet of uh, doom. He was known as the weep- weeping prophet. Um, and further to this, he didn't really have much of a choice in the matter for this job. Um, God doesn't give my choice. This is what God says in his word earlier on in the book of Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you before you were born. I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. So God um, doesn't give Jeremiah a job, so to speak, but he gives Jeremiah to this job. And Jeremiah was reluctant from the start. You wouldn't say Jeremiah was a driven man. You might say Jeremiah was a given man. And he was given to the purposes of God, whether he liked it or not. Um, He was a prophet in uh, the land of Judah. He had to basically tell the people that they were guilty of idolatry, of turning away from God, the real God, to worship foreign idols. Um, He had to tell the the, the people that doom was coming, that they were going to go into uh, uh, captivity from the Babylonians. Um, And it wasn't just the common people that Jeremiah had to speak to, but he had to go to the prophets, he had to go to the priests, he had to go to the kings. He had to go into the middle of the temple where everybody gathered, and he had to say this very unpalatable message to all of them. Um, And not just that, God tells them, when you tell them all this, they will not listen to you. When you call to them, they will not answer. So this is Jeremiah's job. Um, He is shunned from the community. He's isolated. He's ridiculed. His life is threatened. Um, And surely, uh, you know, such basic human need that he has for love and acceptance is completely taken away from him. He's not allowed to marry. He doesn't have any pals. And the poor guy is completely alone. He might say, I don't know if anyone's a Smiths fan here. No, no, good. If you, if you ever feel sorry for yourself, never listen to the Smiths. But as Morrissey said, he said, I am human and I need to be loved just like everybody else does. But poor Jeremiah, he had no one. So justifiably, he's feeling a wee bit sorry for himself. Now, there's many things in life um, that we don't choose. We don't choose being born. We don't choose our face. We don't choose um, our birthplace. We don't choose our, um, maybe our health condition, our physical health, our mental health. Um, we don't choose how we're treated, really, necessarily. Um, and I think sometimes at the core of our being, 
they can have this belief, surely, surely God, surely life, I deserve better. I don't know if you've ever felt like that. Surely I deserve better. Um, or like Jeremiah, sometimes as uh, Christians, I think um, that uh, sometimes our life doesn't feel quite as rewarding or maybe quite as satisfying or maybe quite as pleasurable as we thought it might be. And maybe we say sometimes in our, uh, our hearts, surely I deserve a bit better than this. I think we maybe all been there. Uh, maybe not. Maybe, maybe it's only me. But for whatever reason, we can follow into the trap of something in called, I think, self-pity. You know, that, that um, over-preoccupation, um, that unhealthy, self-absorbed attitude towards our own unhappiness, um, that instead of doing us any good, actually just contributes um, towards our, our already challenging circumstances. But Jeremiah's heart, he's wounded, he's broken, he's in this pit of self-pity, and God is going to have to rescue him because he can't get out of this himself. So God is going to have, have to operate at the heart level. So let's look at the fruit of self-pity, the roots and the fruits of what is going on here. So first of all, Jeremiah is filled with regret. I think he regrets, he's clear in his words here, that he, he regrets even taking up his calling as a prophet in the first place. It is not what he signed up for. Um, it might be easy to see what's at the root of regret when we think of the difference between expectation maybe and reality, which I've just touched on there. Um, this is what God told them at one point. He said, I have appointed you over nations to pluck up and to tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. That was what he maybe expected as a young man. But in reality, he was pied, rejected, defeated, ignored, destroyed. That was the everyday reality of it. So maybe, you know, we've got this expectation, oh, I'm going to take the world for Jesus and it maybe just doesn't look like that. This Christian life sometimes that we signed up to, but sometimes living life, uh, following God, it didn't live up to the expectations that you thought. You experienced failure. You experienced difficulty. You didn't have the impact, maybe, that you imagined that you would. And sometimes, obviously, when these dreams of ours, even if they're godly dreams and ambitions, when they become frustrated and thwarted, it can lead to cynicism. Um, and we've all met, I suppose, um, cynical people. I'm not going to actually look anybody in the eye when I say that. The, the cynical, not anyone in the front row. Just joking, guys. Uh, but there's, you know, the people that themselves, you know, their, their dreams or their ideals, their ambitions might have been thwarted. We've met them, the ones, you know, that they know how every new project's going to fail. Uh, they've, they've seen everything all before. They can see the pretense in every service or like the self-interest in every single act of love. And sometimes, uh, there's something called the, the naysayers or the bubble bursters. But a, a lot of that at the heart of it can be sometimes, you know, if, if our own dreams and ideals have been shattered and we tend to, you know, pour cold water on anyone else's. Um, but, you know, you could, you could say in some... Oh, sorry, I'm just to sip of water. Um, you could say in some senses that um, a cynical outlook from a Christian worldview, it could be justifiable. We live in a broken, uh, sinful world. Uh, people have all kinds of difficulties. People fall far short of God's glory. But I think, you know, as Christians, if our, if our attitude is completely cynical and we're always thinking and seeing the worst, then what does it look like to live with a God who exceeds all hope and who, who no situation is beyond? For Jeremiah, uh, he was promised that ultimately there would be redemption for these people, but he had given up hope for them at this point. And Scripture says that hope deferred, it makes the heart sick. And poor Jeremiah's heart had become sick and it had become cynical. 
Um, this, unfortunately, leads to a sense of, of despair. Um, and he says these words, he says, Woe to me, my mother, that you have borne me, a man of strife and contention to all the land. He wishes he hadn't even been born. He can't see the point of his life if he died. Who would even care? His ministry for all the impact has had on the world, as much as he can see anyway, has been a complete and utter waste of breath. Um, he can't see God at work uh, around him anymore. He can't see work, God at work within him. Um, and to him, life has just become too painful. He wants to give it up and throw him into hell. Not even his faith at this point seems to be able to help him. So Jeremiah slips into unbelief as well. Now, Jeremiah is honest and he's sincere with God. And, and you might as well be. You can't really trick God about how you're feeling. Um, uh, but he, he, in his words, you can see really how dark his thoughts and his heart have become. And this is what he does. He eventually points the finger and he says God, to God these words, will you indeed be to me like a deceptive spring? In other words, like waters that fail. And this is quite shocking when you think of the language because it's the exact same language that he's been using to denounce all these false idols, these broken cisterns that can hold no water. And, he, and, and he's saying they're just deceptions, they're just empty, you can't get any satisfaction of them. In other words, he's saying to God, God, are you really all you're cracked up to be? Or are you just going to leave me as dry and as empty and as thirsty as those pagan idols? So it's pretty harsh. You can see really that his heart has gone dark. He has lost touch with spiritual reality and his mind is darkened. Are you glad you came? We're awfully cheery in this church these days. I was thinking that, aren't we, with all these uplifting messages. But anyway, um, we word of encouragement. Um, if you have been in the air before, and I'm sure many of us have, uh, that you're not alone because you join a, a lot of many great men and women and people of God who have been in that exact state. We've got Jeremiah, Elijah, King David, Moses, Jonah, just to name a few, that got to that position of just feeling ready to chuck in the towel and give up and just feel sorry for themselves. But we don't want to stay there, do we? We want to kind of move on from it. But we've got to stay in the darkness a wee bit longer, I'm afraid, because instead of actually managing to pull ourselves out of this, what we often do is we feed it. So we're going to look at some of the ways that we feed self Pity. This is a quote from John Gardner. He says that self-pity is easily the most destructive of the non-pharmaceutical narcotics. It is addictive. It gives momentary pleasure and it separates the victim from reality. And I think this describes ours and Jeremiah's plight at times, addicted to self-pity, cut off from spiritual reality and just feeding that addiction. And some of the ways we do that, it might be, we can see it in, in lots of ways and in Jeremiah and what he does, uh, we crave sympathy from other people. And, and it's nice to just want a bit of sympathy at times from other people, but that almost unhealthy craving of sympathy for others, um, that desire for people to see how unhappy we are. Now, Jeremiah, he might desire a bit of a pity party, but as we just mentioned, unfortunately, he's got no pals. So Jeremiah can't really get a pity party. But what you do see is that he seems to be almost, instead of clinging to God in faith like we've just seen, he almost invites God into this pity party. 
Um, instead of eventually, like some of the songs of lament or the Psalms might do when they say, like, God, come on, take notice of my situation here. This is tough. My enemies are persecuting me. And they eventually get through to a point of confidence in God. But Jeremiah just seems to sink down and down and down and down um, until he's just merely inviting God in as a spectator into his troubles. And it's a bit of a question for us at times, isn't it? That instead of... Um, uh, allowing, uh, to, instead of clinging to God in confidence, we merely um, invite God into the pity party. Do we do that at times? Um, and when we don't get the response that we desire, this can often lead to resentment. Um, this is what he says. He says, take vengeance, uh, God, on my foes and against my persecutors. Um, and again, to be clear, that Jeremiah he has been treated unjustly, and he is rightly here taking his complaints before God, and it is right that we take vengeance to God. But often, instead of allowing a God, and sorry, allowing vengeance to be God's, we tend to just build up resentment in ourselves that feeds that kind of sense of self-pity. It's like I've heard of people describing it as drinking a poison and then expecting someone else to die from it. Um, that we do that. I'm sure we've all been there because to resent other people and we can see why self-pity becomes a dangerous emotion. I've unfortunately had to visit a prison quite a few times in the past year and I can tell you there is so many people that are in prison and like, and I don't say lightly, that cannot forgive. And we see in this sense that the, the self-pity and that resentment, it can become so, so dangerous. It denies grace for ourselves. It denies grace to others. Um, and instead we get stuck there. Another thing that he does towards us is that he compares himself to other people. Um, we can also often tend to do that, again, feeding that self-pity. Jeremiah says, I didn't sit in the circle of merrymakers. He speaks kind of disparagingly of these charlatans and merrymakers over here. They're all out having a good time. Fair enough. But often when we're in a state of self-pity, we get so preoccupied, don't we, about how happy everybody else is while we are miserable. And I think in, this, in our age of kind of social media, if you want to be uh, self-pitying and unhappy, it's really quick what you can do. You just basically go online and you compare yourself to everybody's best version of themselves. And then eventually you're doing that and you're just feeding that sense of self-pity. And finally, he isolates himself from other people. Um, this is his words. Hey, Jeremiah, in some senses, didn't have a choice, but he says these words, why is my pain being perpetual, my wound uncurable? In other words, instead of re continuing to reach out um, for people, which is what he's called to do, instead of moving towards them, he says, all my life I've had pain. No one's noticed me. This is the way it's always been. This is the way it always will be. Um, all my life I've been forgotten. Stuff a lot of you. I give up. And so there he is in a pretty wretched street, exactly where the devil wants him, exactly where his enemies want him, and he is alone, cut off, and we can be there. I think we would admit to that at times too. So, some light. How does God respond to this, um, this uh, complaint of um, Jeremiah, this rant that he's went on, this tangent? Does God uh, get out the big massive sad violin? Uh, does he enter into the, the pity party, so to speak? Um, or does he just agree with Jeremiah and say, Jeremiah, just give up. You're fine. Just give up. Just, just end it. You're, you know, throw in the towel. No. He tells Jeremiah to repent. Ouch. 
Um, and we wouldn't often, you know, think of uh, self-pity or feeling sorry for yourself as a, a sin. In fact, it can look like humility at times, I think, can't it? But this is what the Lord says, repent. And while at the root of self-pity, he makes it clear, is pride. It comes from our ultimate desire being for our own glory, for our own renown, our own reputation, looking for our sense of satisfaction in ourself or others, rather than in God. Um, rather than it being our, our, our ultimate desire being to know God, to delight in God, and to glorify God. There's actually a theological term for this that Augustine, I'm going to sound very intelligent right now, that Augustine um, uh, coined, and it's, as, it's called curvatus in sea. And if anyone speaks Latin here, they probably will pick up on my bad pronunciation. But what it actually means is a soul turned inward upon itself. So if you can imagine like a soul like that. So instead of, you know, people were not made to be curved in and just consumed by themselves, but instead they were made to be facing towards others and facing towards God. But sin and pride would have that effect of turning ourselves inward. But God uses this word, he says, um, the, the word return to me is actually shub, this idea of coming back to the place that you started from. He's saying return um, to me. It's the same word that's used in Genesis when he's saying Adam will return to the dust. Um, but God is saying, come back home again. Come back to that place that you used to be. Come and delight in me. Come and find joy in me again. Jeremiah was clearly a man that used to delight in God. This is very words. Your words were my joy and my delight. One of Hamish's favorite phrases. Your words were my joy and my delight. He needed to capture Again, that rhythm of abiding in and delighting in God again, to feed on the reality of God's truth rather than just the food of self-pity. He says, if you repent, I will restore you. Here is where you find what you need, not from other people. You're not going to find what you need in other people. You're not going to find what you need in yourself. You're going to find what you need in God. You're going to find restoration and strength and healing. He said to Jeremiah, return to your place. He said, you then, you will stand before me. You will take your place before me. Jeremiah had forgotten his place before God. And it is here that he would remember again who he actually was. This man who was called to stand before God and uh, be ministered to. And from that place of intimacy and fellowship with God to serve people very simply, that God had given him a, a position, a role of great privilege, of closeness to God, but also a role of deep uh, humility, um, not needing to be noticed or felt sorry for, um, or, you know, absorbed with himself, but instead he would find his true joy in serving God and serving uh, others. And it's the same for us, we have that same calling, it's not just uh, prophets and priests I have this, but it's all of us. This is what, listen to the words of Peter. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. And that's from First Peter, that if we, if, if we um, don't take our place, um, in that place before God and before other people, serving other people then, and getting back to these small acts of service and being consumed with ourselves, then it's that world 
out there that is going to suffer from our absence. He has to return to the promise. Uh, Jeremiah had to return to the promise that God has spoken to him right in the start. And this is what he said, Jeremiah, I will set you free for purposes of good. We are not saved and uh, redeemed as Christians just to be left to a life of self-absorption, but God has purposes for us. Um, he had plans for us and promise, promises for us. But how quick we can be, can't we, to just forget those promises when the dark clouds kind of come over us. There's a wonderful scene in um, Pilgrim's Progress when Pilgrim, he kind of strays into Doubton Castle. So in other words, he's been having some doubts. And then a giant who lives there called the giant Despair kidnaps him and chucks him into this uh, castle and into this prison inside the, the Doubting Castle. Um, and he basically, he, he tries to persuade Christian to give up and to die, just like we've been seeing as Jeremiah. He just, like, you know, just throwing the towel. He beats, he beats uh, Pilgrim uh, for many days, and he actually wants him to just end his life. And Pilgrim, no matter how hard he tries, he can't break the bars of this prison. They can't say any of the right words. There's no magic spell. But then it seems also simple. He has a key in his pocket. And that key is called? Yeah. No. <laughs> Promise. I gave you the clue right in the title there. That's it. It's another P. It's another P. The key was called Promise. And in Christ, as we can see here so many times in this church, that all the promises of God are yes and amen. But yet we have to pick up those promises, don't we? We have to lay hold of them at times. We have to meditate on them. We have to get them inside us. We have to pick up the key and turn it and put it in the locket. And that is the way that sometimes that we can move into hope. And it seems so simple, but if I was to ask you the question and take this question seriously, in 2020, you know, there's a, there's a promise for every season in life, is there not? And in 2020, what is a promise that you're holding on to? What is one of God's promises that you are holding on to in your heart and that you are carrying? Because we need to, as Christians, if we're going to survive, we need to be holding on to the promises of God. He has to re return to praise and perspective. Um, he'd forgotten uh, God's promises. He'd also forgotten his past blessings in life. He only remembered uh, reasons to pity himself. He got used to viewing those circumstances negatively, and he'd been basically pouring out all this negative thing. Now, I say perspective, because sometimes to get out of self-pity, I think it's true that we just need a little bit of perspective, sometimes. Not all the time. I get, I, you know, sometimes it's tougher, but like, I'll give you a, a bad example of this. You probably all heard me moaning about when my, my uh, house got flooded, when my pipes burst. And uh, this put me into, like, I am very susceptible, I think, to, to self-pity at times. And I was basically going, and I was thinking, oh, man, this kind of thing always happens to me. And then the, the flooding house builders, they didn't uh, cover it in the warranty, so we didn't get any of that covered or anything. I was, oh, yeah, typical, typical, all the rest of it. House is flooded, no one's covering it to help me, all the rest of it. And uh, it made me start thinking about other thoughts. I remember my Skoda, my Skoda kept breaking down cost me all this money and I was just feeling good about this, oh man, it's always happened to me, it's fair, it's, you know, uh, feeling really sorry for myself. And then I walked into Sainsbury's, it was all, one of my old work colleagues, um, and I was telling him about all this, I was like, oh, it's probably shocking, isn't it, like these house builders and everything, and it was around Christmas time, and then he said to me, he says, Duncan, you do realise that there's people right now sleeping on the streets? And I was like, yeah, I suppose. At first I wanted to slap him, <laughs> but... 
there's an element of truth to that, isn't there? That sometimes we just need a wee bit of perspective and it can break that spell. There's, there's always something worse going on or worse that's happening and we can always count a few blessings, can't we? But sometimes it takes um, a bit more, doesn't it? And this is what, listen to what God says to Jeremiah. He says, if you extract the precious from the worthless. So all this negativity that he'd been speaking out, all these words of falsehood, all these almost accusations against God um, that had just become so accustomed to and habitual for him, he would need to start extracting the precious out of that. This idea of getting gold and taking out. Jeremiah, remember what you know. Remember truth. Remember reality. Um, And the Bible encourages that at times, doesn't it? It says that we're to rouse ourselves up and remember and be thankful to God about some of the blessings that we do have in our life. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits. But sometimes we need to do that. We need to tell to our souls, come on, waking up, bless God, praise him. Uh, There's always reason that we can find to praise God. But that's what he says, if you utter what is uh, worthy, not what is worthless, Jeremiah. And this is the promise that he gives him because it can sound tough, but this is an amazing promise. If you utter what is worthy, not what is worthless, you will be my spokesman. Then you will be like my mouth. If you start speaking out truth and you start declaring truth, and if you start remembering again and speaking out good things, you will be like my mouth. And that's what God says to us. He says, you will be the messenger and the witness that I have called you to be again. You will be the witness I've called you to be again when you speak what is precious. So finally, out of the the pit and into God's purpose, we learn from this interaction there that um, God is actually going to use this circumstances, this, this amazing, this difficulty, this brokenness, this despair, this agony, for to humble Jeremiah, not to destroy him, eh, not to leave him to self-pity, but to actually shape him and mold him to be a true and a faithful messenger. You will be my mouthpiece. He's not necessarily promising to, to Jeremiah glittering success, by the way, but he, what he is saying to him, he's, and, Jer- and Jeremiah would still go through quite a lot of very, very, very tough stuff but he was molding Jeremiah into a faithful man, a man after his own heart and somebody who would be equipped to share his words. But first he would have to renounce self-pity. Here is a a very, I think, a powerful quote I found with somebody talking about another um, self-pitying prophet. This time it was Jonah, when Jonah eventually decided that he would would obey God. Uh, and he threw himself into the sea and says, right, okay, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll take the rap. Um, but he says this, he says, the difficult thing about obeying God is that we have to disobey ourselves, not give in to that thing of self-pity. We have to disobey ourselves. Jonah's or Jeremiah's self-disobedience, his no to self, awakened the leader and the prophet and the influencer within him. Now, you might not see yourself as a leader, or an influencer, or a prophet. But God is saying that as you turn to him, as you die to yourself, he is promising that he can use you to bring his kingdom influence, that he can use you to point people to Jesus, that he can use you to share his love with a world 
that so desperately uh, needs it. As I said, what happened to, to Jeremiah, it would, it would break um, the spirit, I think, of the very, very strongest people, some of the stuff that happened to him. And instead of relying just on his own inner resources, he would have to depend on God's power. And God said to him, he said, I will make you like a bronze wall, resilient and impenetrable and tough. In other words, you will not be defeated by the world. You will not be defeated into your own wee curved up shell. But I am going to make them turn to you, not you to them. That's what God says. Now, I know that some of us, this, uh, even this evening, or, or maybe a lot of the time, they don't feel like a bronze wall. You feel maybe more like a, like a pane of glass that's um, ready to get smashed. But listen to the, um, even if you're feeling like that, listen to the Apostle Paul's words. He says this, he says, we have this treasure. Uh, in other words, these wonderful truths of the gospel, the Holy Spirit of God, uh, the precious promises of God. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Um, these jars of clay prone to self-pity and despair and feeling sorry for ourselves and self-destruction to show that this surpassingly great power is not from us, but is from God. We are pressed on all sides, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not in despair. We are persecuted, but we are not forsaken. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. And that is what we need to cling to in order to kill self-pity. And he carries on. We will always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus might also be revealed in us. See, Jeremiah, this weeping prophet, to know God's heart he would also have to experience that God, God himself had been ostracized and alienated out of that community. They had shunned him out and said, we don't want anything to do with you, God. And Jeremiah, I think, had to taste and experience some of that bitterness and that rejection. And if we are to follow Jesus Christ, we as well, we will need to pick up our cross. And that sometimes means isolation. It means difficulty. It can sometimes mean we go through times of bewilderment, not knowing what's going on because we're following Jesus. But also, we have a confidence that we don't need to be stuck in self-pity because he will also demonstrate the power of his resurrection through us. In other words, it doesn't matter how pitiful your life is in the hands of such a powerful God. Um, so with God's grace and help, uh, let's turn from self-pity and self-absorption and instead let's return to the Lord. Let's return to our place before him. Let's return to praise and thanksgiving. Return to hope and to promise knowing that he does have good plans and purposes for us. Amen. Amen. Let's uh, pray together. Father, we give you praise. You are our strength, Lord. As we have already sang tonight, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Father, sometimes if we're being honest, we feel like we have no inner resource, no strength in us, Lord. We feel like we are tempted at times. 
to give into just feeling sorry for ourselves, to give into um, uh, despair or however that might look like, Lord. But we thank you, God, that you are a God of life and that you are a God of healing and that you are a God of restoration, Lord, and that no one is too far from you. We thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you that he lives in us by the power of your spirit. We thank you, God, that through that amazing truth that we are more than conquerors. But Father, I pray that you would make that really real to us, just these truths that we can so easily speak out, that you would make it real and it would make a difference just in our everyday lives, Lord, that you would fill us again with a sense of your joy and your love so that we can win the world out there, Lord, so that we will not be stuck in a rut but that we will carry on, Lord, with what you have called us to do, to seek your face and to go to the world and show them Jesus Christ. Father, would you help us in that? Would you strengthen us? And would you empower us in that? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'll invite the